Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Take This Job and Love It, a podcast about the uh, various aspects of the career search brought to you from the Office of Career Strategy at Yale University. Uh, I am one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Brian Frenette, and I work in the office specializing uh, with PhDs, master's students, and postdocs seeking career advice. And I'm Stephanie Waite, also joining you from Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I support students through the Common Good and Creative Careers Initiative. And I'm Julia Burke. I work mostly with Yale undergraduates and with experiential learning opportunities. And I'm Meredith Mira, and I work primarily with undergraduate students and am part of our uh, up-and-coming STEM Connect initiative. So today we thought we would begin the conversation by contemplating uh, the aspects of the ways in which we gather experience in a professional context and how we reflect on that experience and how therefore use that experience uh, through the interview process, the resume writing process, cover letter writing process. Um, We have found that this can be an incredibly uh, complicated aspect of uh, the career contemplation, uh, making sure that people gain confidence in their in their experiences and know how to discuss them. So we thought we'd bring that topic up today. Um, so I thought we'd start with a really basic sort of high level question of like, what do we consider to be experience, and how do we find that people misconstrue what experience is? Yeah, yeah. I think oftentimes students will come in and they'll think, oh, it has to be an internship, right? It has to be, you know, eight to 12 weeks over the summertime, or it has to be something um, really lengthy and and depth and uh, in depth. And, you know, honestly, it just, it's, um, it can be bite sized, right? Like it can be short term experiences, it can be task based based work, like it can be so many different things um, that just, uh, allows students the exposure that they need to different job functional areas and industries and things that are of interest to them. Yeah, I think a lot of students forget that they can use their on-campus experiences as a, as experience. And by that, I mean not only their on-campus jobs, which of course is more of a professional experience, but there are so many clubs that students are a part of that don't always make it into that experience section, and they, that's experience too. So. And I think going off of that, experience need not be paid. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, sometimes we even see it where they allocate it as paid versus unpaid, which is a a weird arbitrary uh, identifier. Um, I've also found those identifiers to be situational. So people say, like, as a doctoral student, and they'll just be a giant list of things. And that's a six-year experience that has a number of different actual experiences within it, but they lump it together in this big body of work. Um, And most folks that I encounter that tend to be a tad self-conscious about this will find that there's more there if they actually kind of scratch beneath it a little bit. So they're looking at their dissertation research. They're going to look at an extracurricular club. Maybe they set up a colloquium in their, for their academic department. There's all of a sudden six, seven, eight, nine things that they've done. And it's tends to be very reassuring from them. They're like, oh, this counts? Yeah. yeah. It's like, wow. Because they put these <laughs> right. qualifiers on, oh, paid versus unpaid, or oh, it was only two weeks, or oh, it was this like one day, or oh, I just do that for fun. These all have value. Yeah. And even then, we, what you mentioned about academics, 
when I see students, sometimes I'm, I ask them, well, did you work on any group projects within this course or that course? Or did you build something through, I don't know, maybe the CEID? Or, you know, did you do something as part of your academics that is actually also experience? Yeah, we have students who are doing these incredible projects. I mean, I met with a couple of students who were like, oh, well, I, you know, I build robots as part of the robotics club here. But, you know, no big deal. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. Can you please <laughs> articulate that in your your cover letter in your resume. Like, Absolutely. please talk about those things. Um, but yeah, I think it's a weird way of kind of like dismissing the things that feel more fun or exciting or interesting to them. And they just don't want to um, categorize that in the same way as an eight week internship with a certain type of organization. Well, let me let me ask you all, because I'm glad you brought up the academic projects, Julia. So I often find that academic projects have certain obvious usefulness on, on the con- in the context of a professional resume. But a resume littered with only academic projects through coursework might seem a bit hollow. So I usually recommend, if it's obviously like a capstone project or something along those lines, research, obviously. And then what I sort of vaguely uh, describe as like major academic projects. And I try to keep that to like, you know, if you had one or two, um, that would be ideal, but try to not have you know, a resume that's entirely that. Would you, does anyone differ on that? Is it eye of the beholder? I mean, I think I, I think a good balance of those kinds of things makes sense. I mean, I, I'm, I, I can't help but think of uh, like our, our computer science students, right, or those who come in with uh, – these programming skills that are already, you know, far beyond the reaches of what they're learning in their classes. Mm -hmm. And they have, you know, all these programming languages that they know and all these apps that they've already developed. And Mara, I'm sure, Meredith, I'm sure you've seen, you know, this a lot with the students that you've worked with under the STEM Connect um, group. So I don't know, like, what do you see? Yeah, I I agree. I think um, if you have a class project that is, or it doesn't even have to be a class project. I know a number of uh, computer science students or even just students who are interested in computer science but aren't necessarily studying that will find data sets online and do some analysis on that. Or, um, you know, there's an increasing number of online, um, you know, Kaggle competitions that they're doing with their peers. There's... um, just tons of stuff out there that you might be doing where you're creating a project on your own. But certainly if you're creating a project in a class, it probably is a similar kind of experience as to what you would get if you were doing something at a Facebook or a Google or something of that nature. So in that regard, it almost starts to read more like work experience right. than it does like a classroom project. Yeah, I think it's, it's obviously the angle. And I think that's again comes back to the confidence issue of like someone's like, well, is this this project I worked on, and I don't know, blah blah blah. It, then it becomes more passive, right? It, it looks more theoretical than something that has a practical, visceral, yeah. experiential component to it. And what we're trying to do throughout, the, you know, the thematic consistency that brings all of these experiences together, is that we are evidencing skill development and showing impact. Right now, you say those words, and very understandably, people get nervous. <laughs> yeah. Right, because they're like impact. Oh my god, I don't know. I don't know about or like that. it didn't work. Right, they're like, oh no, this didn't work. Right. So therefore, I shouldn't right. actually write about it or talk about it. They have these interesting, mm-hmm. understandably interesting and in- weird definitions of what success is to look like. And again, it's related to the need to achieve. In this very monumental fashion, and and you know, I think one of the more enlightening aspects for us when we talk to students is is 
in, informing them that the bar is delightfully low, and that <laughs> and that you know, and you watch the the anxiety kind of melt away a little bit, but it also helps them realize and to establish that confidence in their abilities because this impact is sort of pervasive. There's impact in all of these things. It's just, can you see it? Right. Can you discuss it? And this is where, you know, and why we're talking about this today initially is because this this is essential to the entire process. Every aspect of the professional process to achieve what they're looking to achieve is based in this matter of, being able to talk about yourself, being able to talk about your impa- the impact you've had, and having confidence in that impact. And that confidence is the developing part. I don't know if anybody just walks around with like a strut and is like, yeah, I got this. Like, right, right. <laughs> it's usually the opposite of what we see. Absolutely. You know, we see the opposite. Sort of mercifully in a way, right? right. And <laughs> yeah. I think that a big part of um, students coming in, especially in their first year and sitting down with us and saying, I really don't have any experience. Usually they're thinking they weren't paid for anything. But let's say they actually were paid for something and they worked at a clothing shop or they worked at a grocery store as a cashier or they, I don't know, delivered the newspaper, whatever it is that you may have done. Um, I think sometimes the the challenge is that students feel like that's not that relevant once they write it on their resume. I delivered the paper or I helped sell clothes. Well, sure. I mean, if you write it like that, it starts to feel like, what's the skill I'm actually trying to convey? But if we actually talk through it, like, did you ever have to deal with a challenging customer? Did you uh, ever think about how something could run a little bit more smoothly? Um, Were you ever motivating your peers to do something that they wouldn't have done otherwise? All of these things, if you, you know, I don't know how many people are doing a paper route anymore. That may be an archaic (laughs) one. But if you did, you know, what time are you getting up and when and then are you going to school? So, How are you still running a paper route (laughs) in the year 20? You are an entrepreneurial genius. Yeah. (laughs) So I think a big part of that is come in and talk to us about the things you've done. And don't be shy about saying, I did this thing that I think maybe is kind of lame. It's not lame at all. In fact, we can elicit the skills that you're exemplifying through that experience and write it in an interesting way. And we can help you through that reflective process. Like you were asking all those great questions, and that's part of what going through your past experiences is, is asking some of those more pointed questions to get out a little bit more of what that experience actually meant for you and how it does transfer into maybe something totally new, maybe something totally different, but we can always help kind of parse out what those skills were. And these are the kinds of things that employers are telling us that they want to see in these application materials. There is no doubt. We're not just kind of making this stuff up, right? Um, We certainly um, have sourced this information from so many employers that want to hire our students and, you know, they'll they'll flat out say, you know, don't just tell me about the things that, um, that ended up, you know, in your favor in the end, where you had this monumental impact or, um, you know, the, the end results were a 500% increase or you managed a $30,000 budget. You know, they, they want to hear about the challenging aspects of the work that you've done. Um, you're, you want your character to come through, right? So things like um, showcasing how you were resilient, um, how you had to overcome certain aspects of challenging, um, you know, 
job functional roles that you've had or people that you've worked with. I, I think that that becomes equally as important to talk about all of the challenges that have come up and how you've overcome those or navigated through those um, equally as important as I increased the membership by X percent and, you know, increased our, our fund, you know, raising activity, you know, whatever, whatever right. it is. Yeah. Well, they play off of each other, right? Because, I mean, one helps establish the other. It's about process. And, and Julie, you mentioned that term before, process. And I think I wanted to touch on that a little bit because it's, it's also show, it also shows that this is not a one-shot uh, a one-shot method that if somebody just tries to slap this together in a rush, this document to contemplate this experience, the lack of contemplation is usually where we see some of our most common problems with the students we serve, right? Yeah. So the lack of contemplation is usually, a, you know, the result of that is a lack of the confidence that they need in order to articulate what they've done. So the whole structure falls apart. And I think in an academic realm where that achievement is sort of – for many, I think, assumed to be very natural, the how we get there is oftentimes sort of brushed aside in terms of what the the um, the prestige of the accomplishment rather than the process that led to that prestige. Right. And that takes so much consideration because nobody knows what their formula – nobody walks around being like, I know how I do all this all the time. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, no one's that contemplative. <laughs> but this process sort of requires you to be that contemplative to know, like, where are you best utilized as, as someone with skill. And the people that we often see – who are, you know, those folks who say that, you know, I've applied to X number of positions, I've heard nothing back. Well, they've usually not sufficiently considered what they bring to the table and they're relying more heavily on, well, I was an ex-employer. Well, ex-employer might hire a bad employee one day or they have a bad intern. Maybe you're that one. I don't want to make that risk as a hypothetical employer looking mm -hmm. at your resume. I won't rely on name recognition or brand recognition alone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, have you all seen – those common tropes of where problems bubble up. Hmm. What are the what are the what are the most common sort of worst practices, if you will, uh, when it comes to even something as simple as this reflection? And I often think it's like almost. Uh, insulting when we sometimes tell people like you just have to think about what you've done more because like well I was there I should yeah. know but realistically we don't put our feet up on the desk every day and be like man 2012 was an excellent year I really kicked butt in 2012 <laughs> let me think of the ways so speak for yourself Brian so I'm glad you have that was, uh, was really great for me <laughs> banner year banner year so yeah there are other are there other examples of that that you find uh, I just I, I think about the really bad uh, accomplishment statements right like like right. Um, I, and I think this is probably a little bit about what you're getting at, right? Like you put down the name of the organization, you put down your title. There's a huge assumption on part of the reviewer or the or the reader or the um, employer that they just know what that means. Mm -hmm. And really, that's not that's not their role. You know, the employer sitting there going, I have a problem. I have a position I need to fill and I need to do this quickly because the longer I go without filling this position, the more at risk this organization is for losing money, services, you know, et cetera. So, uh, so you have to make it really easy for the reviewer to go, ah, I understand exactly what it is that you did, how you did it, what that process was. Um, um, that you have more of a 360 view. So I think one of the common um, 
uh, you know, uh, mistakes, if you will, that uh, someone might often make in trying to relay what their experience was is just giving too little of information. Don't leave anything up to guesswork. Right. Yeah. Right. They're not going to assume on your behalf. If anything, they're going to do the opposite, right? Right. Or they're going to assume something that's really wrong, right? <laughs> that's, that's the risk. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking a little bit here about um, experience and the way we're thinking about it at the moment is how you convey it on a resume. But one of the things that I'm thinking about is how you convey your experience when you're talking to somebody. Right. And I think a big part of what gets left out is who a person is and what they care about and why they care about it. Mm-hmm. Values, so, values, values, values. And I think a lot of this um, comes down to reflecting on self, experiences that have shaped you as you've been growing up. I think many times I'll sit down and talk to a student, whether it's an undergraduate student or a grad student or even a postdoc, and the next thing you know, I'm asking them something about, you know, when they were growing up, how did they start to become interested in studying, you know, food chemistry. Like, were you interested in food when you were young? Did you cook? Do you have a family member who likes to do this? And I think sometimes they're looking at me like I have, you know, horns growing out of my head, and they're wondering (laughs) why I'm raising this. And I think it's a real challenge that people have where they actually have not uh, made a distinction between um, whether it's okay to share something personal Mm-hmm. When they're talking to people, and I want to say that you can share something personal and you keep things you know, off the table that are private. And that personal is okay and you know, private is not. And, and one person's personal is another person's private. So you have to actually define what that is. But um, we need yeah. to know who you are. Right? And it does take some time to actually do that reflection because – it's sometimes it's easier for people to actually know those answers kind of right off the bat. They may have already thought of that. But if you can't articulate it, it's okay to take a little bit of time to ask yourself sometimes pretty basic question or what might sound basic, like, why did I really get into this? Or even basic questions about maybe an experience, to go back to experience, maybe you volunteered at, you know, somewhere in high school or in college for a number of years. What about that really meant a lot to you, just try to articulate that. And it's okay to spend some time in that headspace to identify, was it the people? Was it the work itself? Was mm-hmm. it the, the um, you know, the issue that I was, uh, was working within? It's okay to take that time for that reflection, but it, it does take some time sometimes. You know? Right. It's hard to wing it. Yeah. Right? It's, you're not going to get too much from, from, you know, kind of off the bat being like, oh, yeah, it was immediately this or that. Yeah, and I think that's where people fear that they are slipping into um, arrogance, right? Like mm-hmm. they feel that if they're dissecting how mm-hmm. – the question I always try to ask and it can be a frustrating question at times is how did you do the thing – like how? How did you achieve – how did you determine impact? It's It's a blunt question that I think helps us – helps one begin to consider sort of the, you know, the ethos of how they approach a problem or a topic or, or anything. But once they begin to, to sort of settle into that, there's immediately either a fear that they are, you know, BSing somebody or that they are coming across as arrogant. And 
and that's where the mis the mis misconstruing of arrogance v confidence is is this very natural butting of heads that in the process I think is inevitable, but because of the fact that this is is, is such a unique. And again, establishing your values to know what you want to be looking for, thinking about the, and reflecting on your experiences for resume construction, interviewing, networking, cover letter writing, all the aspects of the process. Inevitably, you will get to this crossroads where you are thinking, am I inflating this or am I dangerously going into an area that I may I shouldn't be? I think I think most people that I encounter tend to, to go that route. And so it's about, A, embracing that moment, like that's okay to be there, but then how to escape from it. Yeah, so I, I think there's uh, braggadocious on one end and mm-hmm. humility on the other. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, we're, we're, we're taught and trained and, you know, granted, like this is different for different cultures, but we're taught and trained to think more on the uh, humble side, right? Be, um, you know, embrace humility and be a little bit more humble. And that, that's where I think there is this... Uh, um, uh, retreat and this backing away from wanting to talk about how I did something or why I did something. And, um, and, and they think uh, really articulating that, whether that's in writing or, or in conversation, um, is, is kind of going more on that braggadocious side mm-hmm. or that arrogant side, right? And so oftentimes it's, it's uh, practicing. And to Julia, to your point about reflection, taking that time to reflect upon your experiences, why you did certain things, how you chose um, those, those different experiences and what you got out of those experiences so that you can then come to this place of accuracy. So so moving away from braggadocious and moving away from um, humility and getting to that point of, of, of being able to articulate your experiences and why you chose certain things and how you did certain things, how you uh, progressed through certain experiences um, in a more accurate way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also want to mention a little bit also um, on the topic of thinking about experiences as ways to explore new areas because I think for a little while I've been talking about how experience can lead to another experience in a similar area maybe but we've all seen students everyone at this table has seen a student who has maybe been an engineer for a few years and then realizes that they don't want to be an engineer so talking about how to gain experiences that aren't necessarily in the field you've been kind of part of for a long time. There are so many different ways that one can gain experience. And we've just mentioned, I think at the, the beginning of our conversation, we mentioned academics, we mentioned some volunteering. Um, but there are through experience, there are so many ways to experience to have new eye-opening, skills-based, project-based experiences, not to overuse the word, (laughs) but that's what we're talking about, um, to to potentially even shift into a new area. And that could be even just like one day shadowing, you know, where an experience could be a conversation. So just to kind of make sure that we're also talking about how those, uh, you know, initial experiences can even shift and change over time without having to commit to a long, you know, a three-month internship or a job. Yeah. You know, the experience can be much smaller and maybe a little more fleeting, if that's the right word. So so this is an interesting point because I, you know, I get this a lot where students will feel as though they've been on a particular track for a while. They've been in that mind space. I see this with a lot of pre-med students. They're thinking, I'm going to go to med school. 
I've, I've done all of the things associated with preparing myself for medical school. I've done research in a lab. I've done the job shadowing in the hospital. I've done the volunteer work. I, you know, help with the Free Haven Clinic. I have done all of these things, and now I'm completely switching gears. Now what do I do? And I think it's a completely—I'm so glad you brought this up, Julia, because it's so it's so essential um, for us to have some dialogue and um, conversation around this because it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought I was yeah. doing this, and now I've had these experiences, both good and bad. I am leaning more on the, hey, this was not good. <laughs> and now I want to try something different. So I'm curious to hear from the group, what are some ways that you've encouraged students to switch gears or to support them as they are switching gears? What's some of the, the best advice that you all have for that? Well, I mean, I see a lot of PhDs who have aspirations for academic careers and then will make alternate plans. And that can initially certainly appear very jarring to them and they find themselves in a similar type of situation, at least initially, postdocs as well. And I think, again, their focus tends to be on they, – they see impact as the results of the research they do as opposed to how they do the research. And that's where I think the, 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 the mindset shifts, where you're realizing that you have these very versatile skills that are already – so you're already – you don't need a time machine. You just need to rethink or recontemplate the things that you have done in this new way. Alongside that, the this particular place, this institution that we're currently sitting within has opportunities for students to leverage their time in certain ways. Postdocs will have less of that, but they still have personal lives and their personal lives allow for them to explore and take on challenges or be involved in their community or to be involved um, in even like hobbies that are of interest to them that can help sort of bridge gaps where those gaps are, are perceived. But if in lieu of like a really concrete idea, sometimes it's just about throwing yourself out there and being like, well, let me get involved in X, Y, Z activity that is relevant to my community, relevant to my interests. talked about values before. Um, and obviously, I think if we're talking about accomplishments, we've been hitting the, the skills pillar pretty hard. Yeah. But then interest comes along here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you yeah. actually get to do things you like. Imagine that. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. Huh. Wow. Well, what you a like. suggestion, Bray. Imagine. Very revolutionary <laughs> idea. It's okay. You guys can have that one. But the idea is if you're doing things you like and you're leveraging those skills to be effective, that's a story that's being told. And sometimes we're, we're so close to the painting, we don't see it for what it truly is. We have to kind of back ourselves away a little bit. But that – that struggle to find relevance, I think, is is also the one to, to to embrace the versatility of what we've already done, and then realize that you know we're never complete. It, it, you know, we all have friends in our lives who are like making me maybe, maybe maybe making a career change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not stuck. They they may need to rethink or contemplate how they're spending some of their time if they have that precious free time, or how they're leveraging certain projects in their current day to day at their jobs. But these things have versatility already built into them. I think a lot about, Stephanie, um, your words around uh, get curious and talk to people. And I think that that's probably step number one, mm-hmm. is that you yeah. here at Yale are surrounded by tons of people who have done a very wide variety of things. And, you know, for our undergraduate students, I know we have um, these summer experiences lists and our class lists, and um, I don't recall whether 
those are available to our yeah. graduate students and postdocs as well. Yep. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Happy to report. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Great news. Um, these are all available in uh, the Yale Career Link. You can reach out to people who have done similar internships or are now at a job in an area you're starting to think about, and they have left their in the case of those who have graduated, their non-Yale email address, you should talk to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, this idea of kind of get curious, I, I mean it in the deepest sense, right? Get curious about who you are as an individual, your values, your interests, your skills, what your experiences have been. Mm-hmm. And then get curious about what exists out in the world, right? Um, what are those job functional areas that you uh, don't really know about yet and you want to kind of unearth a little bit about what they're all about and where they exist in different industries and sectors? Um, which, by the way, I feel like I would be a, 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 um, a total jerk if I didn't say get curious, talk to people, try stuff actually comes from our friend Bill Burnett from Stanford University. Hats off to him. Yeah. I've borrowed this um, this phrase, this term, this concept, idea, whatever you want to call it for a while now. And um, and the idea of really get curious about who you are and what exists in the world. Um, talk to people. There are so much. Thank you so much, Meredith, for um, sharing all the different ways that students can reach out and, um, and 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 find folks to talk to. But even for those of you who are listening that are outside of our community, um, you know, there are so many different ways that uh, you can reach out to folks through LinkedIn, um, other you know uh, national organizations that you're a part of. Um, really, just finding the time to talk to people about their experiences and how they got to where they are. Um, And then try stuff, which is what we're talking about today, right? The experience piece. Um, And there's really, what I tell students is there's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for trying out different aspects or elements of the job functional roles that are of interest to them. Um, There just, there won't be a substitute for experiential learning in these kinds of spaces. So, um, so, you know, uh, find, find ways of, of gaining those additional experiences, any which way you can squeeze them in. I'd like to think that, you know, we're all, all just kind of three steps away from a major career change or a major life uh, change, right? I mean, I, I, I like to think about that kind of stuff where, oh, if I'm done being a career advisor, you know, all of a sudden, um, I'm probably just three steps away of choosing some other kind of life or living situation or um, entirely different stance on what I think my life should be inclusive of. Well, I think that's also like the major takeaway. And as as we kind of wind down this conversation, thinking about what these major takeaways are and that proper reflection on our experiences allows for us to understand that we're not stuck. Right. It it allows for us to understand and embrace that versatility, to have the confidence in what we've done and not just feel, you know, to avoid that rat race trope of like, well, I have to get up and go to do this thing because. And that doesn't that doesn't dismiss the responsibilities we have in our lives. That doesn't dismiss the pressures that we feel, the anxieties that come up. These things are somewhat inevitable. But if we allow that specter to grow, you know, I'm using my air quotes here just because. It traps us. And so we really want to try to remember these things because it keeps us from slipping into those pratfalls. And I think that's one of the major takeaways from people who are you know, either in this process or they are just like woke up this morning and said, oh, dear God, I need to rethink this. Or they're just like, man, I'm happy. I don't know why I'm listening to this podcast right now. Everything's fine. <laughs> I don't know why I'm putting myself through this. I'm some kind of masochist. The, the idea is to always be – 
aware of these things because starting from zero is really difficult. If you're having to remember the last X number of years of your life in this way, it's a really odd process. And again, we've used that word a lot today. Process means it's multiple steps. We don't always have the luxury of this free time. So just sort of being in tune with ourselves in this way is it should be very redemptive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, since this is the first time we're trying this, I don't know how to actually wrap this up. Okay. So, uh, so this has been a little bit of insight as to what happens behind closed doors at Yale's Office of Career Strategy <laughs> and the kind of advice that we give our students and um, how we're encouraging folks to think about uh, this kind of um, – this kind of work and, and gaining and building experience. Yeah. So check out the other episodes for more insight on different nuanced topics, and we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>